It is old. Around every corner, another legend. We are so steeped in our history, we have to live among it. We sit on top of our ghosts. We eat next to our saints. Through the forest, we walk next to the old gods. There is no distance here to lose yourself in. Only familiar streets that twist into the unfamiliar. Dark things hiding beside our homes. A city which only ever pretended to be ours. It is the things which hide in plain sight. Passing us by if we're lucky. The transient atmospheres of train stations and hotels. Strangers, lights in forgotten buildings. Stories told in secondhand bookshops and the river which wraps its way about the city. This is the Elvet Mysteries, and I am your host, Livy Jones. Welcome to episode one, Separation. Well, thank you for tuning in. This is a podcast about impossible things. It's for sharing them and just maybe getting to the bottom of them. It started with a strange experience, one which I'm trying desperately to reconcile with myself. I can't let it go. I've really, really tried. But I've just got to figure out what happened. And I started thinking about how many other people are like me, circling around and around in their heads for an answer that just isn't there. So I'm here, discussing this, and inviting you to discuss this with me too. I want to begin with the idea of separation. The unexplained has worked its way into my head, and everything I see is different because of it. The way I see reality has changed, and the thing is, I'm kind of alone because of it. Not totally, but there's a gap between the reality I live in and the reality that everyone else seems to live in. I've lost my certainty. I'm not sure that this, and I mean this in the most general sense, is the way things really are. You need to see it for yourself to understand. That's why I'm reaching out. To find other people that understand and share their stories. So feel free to get in contact with us through our Twitter or emailing the station. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, speaking of which, I'm going to give that a check now and see if anyone has gotten in touch with us. Uh, why? My flatmate has tweeted in listeners. Jeremy wanted to run his own supernatural theme podcast, but I got there first, and my idea was better. He says he stopped listening because my voice is giving him a migraine. Well, Jeremy's existence gives me a migraine, so I guess we're even. <laughs> anyway, if anyone other than my least favorite flatmate has something to say, do email in. Um, I do have a story prepared for you guys. It was sent in almost a week ago. 
And I honestly don't know whether or not it's a piece of creative writing, which we don't accept, by the way. But I really think I, I really think I should read it anyway and just let you draw your own conclusions. It begins. The key to the classics library had a wooden stake on it. It was like some kind of keyring, a way to identify the key from the others. It was definitely old, the wood worn smooth around the edges. The department was old too, a rambling building that didn't make much sense. The library was a little strange, a series of small rooms with high shelves. It was a kind of too quiet, uncomfortable. But then the street noises started coming in and I could hear people on the stairs outside. I started to work. There was a shuffling sound, maybe a half hour after this, a scratchy snuffle, a kind of wrinkled cough, something like a rat. Did the library have rats? Had a mouse gotten in from somewhere? It was persistent. There was something in the other room. A girl looked at me over the top of her stack of books, not just staring, but trying to communicate something. I stared blankly back. She sighed and stood up. She said something along the lines of, I'll get it then. You take the bin. She grabbed the key from my table and gestured. I didn't understand. Did she want me to help her catch the rat? I began to say something about telling reception, but she cut me off. I took the bin and followed her into one of the library's back rooms. She seemed more bored than anxious, peering underneath the shelves. There was a hissing sound, a strange kind of cry. I couldn't place it, but it kind of reminded me of a fox. It didn't sound right at all. She moved further into the library. Until then, she lurched, reaching under a shelf and dragging something pale from underneath. It thrashed about, something with the tiny limbs of a child, but its face was all screwed up, mostly teeth. It writhed, fluid dripping from its eyes. It wasn't a rat, and it wasn't an infant. She gripped it by the skull, her free hand driving the stake through its tiny chest. I remember watching it twitch. She gestured for the bin, and I gave it to her. She must have caught my expression because she said, What? It's just a vampire. The library has an infestation. She keeps having her babies in the back room. I felt thrown. I'd always assumed vampires were fictional. Was this an English thing? Were vampires native here and I'd never known? I had almost convinced myself. I realized it must have been a trick unless I dreamt it. I had almost convinced myself, but no, it, it couldn't have been the way I remembered. I'd fallen asleep in the library, maybe. Perhaps that been a rat after all, and its scratching had turned into some horrible nightmare. It was something that stuck with me. I dream about it occasionally, especially close to exams. About a year ago, I went back to the library. I found a book I thought I'd returned, and I was in the area. I walked in, and there was a woman there. She faced the window, looking down into the dark street below. When she saw my reflection in the glass, she turned, and I saw a small child cradled in her arms. She brought her fingers to her lips. I returned my book and left. I 
really don't want to comment on any of these stories. As much as I could pick them apart and question them, I want to give them room to breathe. I worry too much about being believed, about being seen as irrational to expose people like that. Any questions about the authenticity are only going to be addressed after I've finished recording. I hope you understand that my podcast was never going to be about paranormal investigation. Oh, and uh, Jeremy has sent me an email this time. It's one, two, three, six paragraphs long. I don't care. Oh, and there's another one here too. It's from someone calling themselves occult sweaters. Um, this is this is pretty weird. I, I'm I'm not um uh, okay um right. I I think. I think I'm just going to read it to you and then you guys can see what you think. Uh, yeah, it begins. Jones, you haven't seen me yet, or not directly. I may have passed you in the crowd when coming back from lectures, or you've seen me from behind when studying in the library. I know you've never looked directly at me before, because if you had, you'd have known. I look like many of the other girls here. My hair is dyed. I wear boots and leggings and thick knitted jumpers. But if you'd really seen me, you would have noticed. You'd have been fixed to the spot and you'd have stared even though you know it's rude. You wouldn't have been able to look away. People would bump into you out of surprise, but you wouldn't move. You'd be caught staring and staring. Your eyes would water, but you wouldn't blink. Eventually, the water in your eyes would turn to crude oil? But you wouldn't stop staring. It's because I knit my jumpers myself, and I have learnt to knit many things into my jumpers. The symbols I create spell out the oldest names of the most forgotten things. Things that could be called from the depths if you could just wrap your tongue around the shapes those names are made out of. Sadly, your mouth is not made for those shapes. But mine is. So you haven't seen me yet, but I have watched you. I have watched your confusion as you run in circles, and I sympathize with your narrow view of things. I was a little bit like you once. There was a point at which I failed to understand many things. Now, Jones, I understand. I have disregarded time because I can see past the edges of it. And would you like to know what else I've seen? I've seen you, Jones. I've seen you stood by me at the end of all things. I have seen us. And I know now how this has to be. I don't mean to come across strongly, but since you are struggling to understand, I thought I'd make myself perfectly clear. I know that you'll need time to come to terms with this. I can wait. Once you understand, come find me. I'll know, and when you see me for the first time, the fluid in your eyes will not turn to crude oil. You will not be fixed in place. No. The result will be so much sweeter than that. Sincerely, your secret admirer. Right. Right, well, that was that was creepier than I'd expected. I, I genuinely don't know if this is a joke or not, but 
God, do not email me again. This is not this is not an acceptable thing to say to someone at all. It's creepy and I'm I'm not interested and and no. Uh um anyway, anyway, I'm I'm going to move on to one of the other stories I have for you. Uh I'm not actually going to be reading this one. The friend that had the experience has agreed to read it himself. I was searching in the library catalog when I came across it. Abandoned by the Dewey Decimal System and up in the reference library on the green. I wasn't quite sure why it was reference only, because it didn't seem to be anything exceptional. It was a slim volume of poetry, 13 in total, about tarot cards. It was written by one Norman Hidden, and the curiousness of the name made me think that it must be a pseudonym. The shelf mark of the book was Hidden 15. It had to be requested. I moved on to other, less troublesome books. It seemed a long way to walk for a few poems. The novelty of the thing stayed with me, though, and curiosity started to nibble away at me like an infestation of moths. Soon, I was riddled with it, and I made a point of walking up the hill to Palace Green. I went looking for Hidden Fifteen. Inside the library, I noticed nothing outside of the usual. The building was old and quiet. The librarian by the desk was alone. She clicked away at her computer. I asked to request a book. She said yes and asked me which one. I told her that it was a book of poetry by Norman Hidden. The shelf mark was Hidden 15. She stopped, her shoulders tensed. Her smile remained oddly fixed. Her hands gripped the desk. She was silent for a long time, maybe 30 seconds. I allowed this silence to pass between us and I didn't walk away. She gave me an opportunity. She was being kind. Then, finally, why are you interested in Hidden 15? She asked about it like she was asking about the weather. Her hands didn't move from the desk. Her knuckles were white. I went to answer her and my voice stuck. She didn't move, but she told me she'd email me when the book was available. I walked home in the dark, alone. While walking home, I nearly got hit by a car. The car had come round the corner with no warning. It had been the only one on the road. I stood there for a moment, shocked at how much I could have been hurt. Or worse, I could have ceased in that moment and life was fleeting and temporary and we give it this great weight to balance out its fragility. I knew this, but mostly I just swore. I swore and clung to my knees and tried to get a grip. The next day, I got an untitled email from the library. It had no punctuation, but the first letter of each word was capitalised. Hidden 15 is ready for you. I felt watched. I considered not going. I thought I might avoid the matter. I thought that I would be able to. I googled it eventually, 
I expected to find dead ends and oddities. I found an obituary for a normal man, an obscure poet, someone who left his collection to the library. He was talented and ordinary and had lived a full life. I checked the catalogue again and there were volumes of his work from hidden one to 16. Although, when I checked again, hidden 15 was missing from the catalogue. I decided to go. I went into the reference library and up to the receptionist. I'm ready, I said, and she didn't reply. She got the book from where it had been waiting for me. It was exactly like I pictured, a slim volume of poems, title on the front with a shelf mark that read Hidden 15, a further sticker warning that it was reference only. She handed the book to me and she was smiling and there were tears at the corners of her eyes that she did not acknowledge. They ran down her face, slowly at first, but then turned into streams. She held the book out to me. She did not move apart from the shaking of her hand. Enjoy your reading, she said. I took the book from her hands. It was strangely warm. I walked away from her into the recesses of the library. The book was full of poems and nothing else. I checked underneath the plastic binding and I read the poems carefully at first and then quicker. I appreciated what was written there and I appreciated what was written there is nothing to do with this. I don't understand. I wondered what would happen if I stole the book. It's not on the catalogue anymore. I felt like it would appear back there in its own time and there would be a copy waiting for the next person to request it. And that copy would be exactly like they pictured it would be. I felt like the librarian would hand them the book and she would be smiling and crying. I took pictures of the book even though I know that it's a dead end, that this book is Hidden 15, but Hidden 15 is something else as well, but I don't know what. I forced the book back into the hands of the librarian. She hadn't moved, but her tears had stained the collar of her blouse. They were starting to run down her shirt. I was watched as I walked back from the library down to my house. I waited by the crossing until the light turned green and the moment I stepped on the other side a car hurtled round the corner and drove off. No one else noticed. It hit me that I will never be hidden again. That the things which hide or the things that don't see us have now seen me. I am watched. To round this off properly and to not leave you in too much suspense, I'll finish off this evening with my own mystery. It's not quite as distinctive as the others from tonight and perhaps more easily explained away, but it has haunted me all the same. I was up in Durham for a tour of my allocated college. I was nervous and annoyed about having to miss a day of studying or at least a day of trying to study. We were shown round, and everyone was too nice, too smiley, too quick to assure us the dripping taps would be fixed, that no one ever queued for the showers, that the college meals were delicious and cheaply priced. I felt like I was wasting the day. 
My accommodation was adequate. The food would be adequate. It wasn't like I had a choice anyway. I was coming here for the teaching, not so I could sing Kumbaya with indoctrinated second years and live in the lap of luxury. All I needed was the assurance it wasn't going to be unbearable, although it was undoubtedly going to be unbearable once I was in a corridor with 12 other people. I didn't want to be social. I wanted to sit alone in my room until 4 in the morning drinking vodka and watching Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World. I didn't want friends. Well, I just knew I couldn't count on friends, so vodka and Arthur C. Clarke it was. I'm getting off topic. I was the last one to leave the communal area, the others having been ushered ahead to look at the rooms. I wasn't in the best mood and lingered behind. As I watched the trees sway outside the window, a bird flew through the glass, not into the glass or through an open window. It flew or seemed to fly straight through the glass. And then, panicked by the sudden change in scenery, flew up, hitting itself on the ceiling, losing feathers, flapping. I was horrified. I reached up to try and shoo it away. I thought somehow everyone would think it was my fault that I'd let it in. I tried to catch it and it swooped low enough for me to get a hold of it. I looked at it in my hands. It was small and white. Its neck was too long to be anything but a swan, but it was tiny. It fitted squarely in my hands. I don't understand. In shock, I let go and the bird flew through the now open window. I stand, mouth agape, for a few seconds. My mom pushes the door open and asks if I want to see the rooms. I'm totally lost. What happened does not make sense in any way, and I don't know how to begin explaining it. I follow her silently into the corridor, leaving behind a few white feathers behind me. I have spoken with people about this, and... They think it must have just been an odd-looking dove, that the window had been open all along. I have tried to make that fit into my narrative, but I remember clearly what happened. I remember that swan going through the glass. Memory can be changeable. It can be unreliable, and I'm constantly switching between the certainty and the doubt. I want to tell you I knew what I saw, but I can only know what I remember. Sitting there since the open day, thinking and thinking has done me no good. I had to put it all into something practical. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to get the answers I want, but I am trying. I'm not going to give up. That's the one thing I am certain about. I'll be on air again shortly with our next episode. Thank you so much for listening to us. This has been the Elvet Mysteries. Good night. The Elvet Mysteries was produced by Kim Dean and Olivia Clark as part of Crow and Kettle Presents. It was written by Kim Dean. The voice of Livy Jones was Kim Dean. Hidden 15 was read by Jay Hume. Our original score, including the Elvet Mysteries theme, was created by Olivia Clark. You can find her on Instagram at Olivia Clark Composition. Crow and Kettle is on Twitter, at Crow and Kettle. If you like this show, you might like our last podcast, Curse of Carmilla, a queer D&D gothic horror. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.